Dante Nelson here. Tell us, you, you helped to uh, produce this show. What, what do you want people to know about time management and academic success? What, what, do you want, what do you want them to hear? Well, time management is something that's important in your life. Time management is something that you follow to, and that you follow by and to get and to achieve something. And yes. time management is followed by a goal setting uh -huh. that you set for yourself, you know, for a long term or short term. Um, and time management is a strategy to and set for yourself to get to success in your life. And you wanted, you wanted us to share this with, to, with every, the people um, in terms of time management more than anything else. And um, I know you chose that as a very important essay and completion yes. for a yes, particular college course. What, I mean, why, is there anything you wanted, any takeaway? Like, why, why is time management so important, a strategy? Well, time management, well, from in my point of view, I was a person that was always late to an event. Uh, a person that was always late, you know, taking, uh, you know, just completing an assignment. Um, uh, my time was, I was very late with it. Um, I would start at a good timing, you know, like fast pace, and then it was slowly shortening. But that would involve with, you know, like self monitoring and everything. But we would, uh, we would get to that. We so. will. You he wrote an amazing piece, guy, and it was really deep. And I'm looking forward to it. He has he's a young man. He has a lot coming at him, and he's taking off in society, taking off in life. He has so much going on for him. And um, he has a beautiful um, article that I will be narrating for you, looking at the relationship between time management and student success. Yeah. Coming up next on the New Liberal Round Podcast. All right now. management and academic success. It is said that life is short and time is limited. So time is the most valuable and priceless thing in our lives as it is the space within which we operate and conduct the entirety of our lives. This involves the navigation of a plethora and myriad of stimuli coming at us in order to realize the zenith of our life. As such, time management becomes paramount as it is an excellent tool and skill for directing and guiding one's life or life's activities so as to minimize time wasting and the distractions that pose threats to the realization of one's academic goals. Because 
life is short and time is limited. Yet, most of us take time management for granted. In fact, research shows that students who utilize effective time management skills usually take it with them throughout their academic and professional life and realize greater success and less burnout and distractions. Hence, time management is a vital skill and activity within learning within the learning strategy that may help to realize successful completion of one's academic goals. What is time management? Time management is simply managing time but doing so effectively. It involves setting and acting within one's priorities. We're talking about prioritizing. It is doing first things first or doing the most important things with the most benefit and least time in that order so that attention is given to those things within a systematic way that helps the learner to become more organized, focused, and directed, and spends less time all over the place and missing deadlines. All these contribute to the missed or to missed opportunities and slowed success within the learning process. If truth be told, time management is an effective learning strategy or effective learning strategy tool within the motivational used to realize academic success. Now, according to Simsek and Baladan, students who used varied and more learning strategies usually have greater or better academic success than their peers. Further, there are several learning strategies, one of which is the motivational. The motivational deals with reducing stress and redirecting anxiety developing interest and time management, etc. And you can look at Simsek and Baladan, 2010, pages 36 to 45. Now, time management plays a huge role in stress reduction. And if students do not know how to handle it, you can feel rushed and overwhelmed with an, ass with an assignment. But when you manage your time effectively, studies show that students no longer subject themselves to that level of stress and it's also better for your health, mind, and body as stress creates anxiety that may lead to a breakdown in the body's defenses, which exposes us to viral attacks and stress-related illnesses and diseases. It is true that many people do not give due importance to time management when it comes to real-world application, and that's according to Viner in 2006. You know, people go about their work and their positive attitudes, yet they consider their workload and time priority as if it were their child. However, our state of mind is what causes and cures stress. It is easy to fall into a negative headspace when faced with time restraints. You can cause your own stress no matter what problem you face or time restraint you have, and you can see 
Hill and Slattery in their 1986 work. So, therefore, structuring your mindset for success is important. And everyone has a mindset. And it is up, and it is up to each individual in terms of how they apply it to their own lives. Now, Dr. Caroline or Caroline's direct inspiring novel, Mindset, The New Psychology of Success, explores the, dif- the differences between a fixed and growth mindset. We talked about self-monitoring as a technique which cognitive behavior therapists um, almost always teach their clients. It is a form of data gathering which every individual should grasp to systematically observe and record specific targets such as their own thoughts, their emotions, their bodies, their feelings and behaviors. And time management is a very important skill and tool not only within the motivational but as you practice and you utilize self-monitoring skills on that particular technique. It involves this, the tool of time management. Managing your own self, your own time, making priorities is all part of self-monitoring. In closing, as we think about the efficacy of time management as a tool for the realization of academic success, it must be taken into consideration that it is part of a wider learning strategy, the motivational, which is itself part of several other learning strategies that when utilized together will guarantee a better chance of realizing one's academic goals. Therefore, while time management is important, it must be utilized effectively and on its, and on its own cannot or may not realize academic success without the learner utilizing varied and more learning strategies. This is the Nail Rubber Run podcast. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the episode. Now, for those of us who are unaware, this is part three. This is part two of a three-part series that we started some time ago. Um, And the title of the previous episode that we did was entitled Sharing the Journey. And we had promised that we will continue with that, with that episode. And so we will cut this segment we will continue with the series that we started entitled Serving the World Today to Solve Tomorrow's Challenges, where I share with you an essay, where I share with you a journey, my personal journey, an academic journey, where we explore several academic concepts, which is contained in neoliberalism and my upcoming book and upcoming research. Now, so we will consider that today and it will be at least for about 30 minutes so state so we and today and today's series we're looking at power poses problems for progress who rules the world 
again the title of this second series that we're looking at is power poses problems for progress who rules the world now we ended the last uh, episode or the first episode in this series saying that saying that talking about a conclusion saying that social media provides access to information and reveals the hidden realities of people is everywhere and serves as a tool to advance and develop the masses and their movement. And we said that this conclusion, which stems from this study of neoliberal globalization considered, and my previous work on neoliberalism, which will bring us to another study on privilege, power, position, status, and secrets to unlocking divine intervention, And we said that the study would be a compendium of several perspectives on power that purports to examine how the status quo uses strategy to extend, establish, or maintain power, which then poses problems for human progress. We said that the study will be interdisciplinary but benefits from the disciplines of liberal studies and liberal arts, lifting up issues of human values and ethics. Now, this particular segment we are now looking at power poses problems for progress and who rules the world. Now, beginning from where we left off, I will say this. The study, this particular study that we are contending for, power poses problems for progress, who rules the world. I say to you that further, the study that we and that I am embarking on would consider not just neoliberal elites, globalist tactics, neoliberal elite globalist tactics, but will consider the challenge to Western power and their global elites, because I've been talking about power and neoliberalism and neoliberal elites within countries of the the West. But William Dumhoff in 2010 suggested in his book, Who Rules America?, challenges to corporate and class dominance that it was corporations further charles perot in his book organizing america wealth power and the origins of corporate capitalism in 2010 shows how american corporations are and became the dominant and overarching force and feature in america but the next project is going further asking the question who rules corporations if they ruled America? And we're saying or suggesting China, which will be the focus of one of my research papers and projects as I study neoliberalism, globalization, income inequality, poverty, and resistance. So this study will suggest China for reasons we must discuss and present in further detail for later. But we will briefly outline here how and why we made or come to such assertions. However, after careful consideration and study, it would seem that the world now has two global challenges. One is in Europe, which is Putin and Russian aggression. Second is China in Asia, and they're pushed to become the new superpower. China and Russia are socialist countries with a kind of totalitarian system of government. So while the West is seeking to develop partnerships and to rule by a neoliberal strategy, which pivots to corporate greed, that is not easily detected. The East, China and Russia here, is still living in the past using past values of a world 
that you with intimidation and aggression to realize its goal of world domination and control. So as we look at neoliberal globalist tactics and the effects on the global south and vulnerable groups, we are also we are also met with the question of who rules America, or the question of who rules America becomes even broader to who rules the world. We have suggested that it is the global elite across countries, even though China and Russia have their own personal national interests that defies this. However, there are elites in Russia and China who form and are part of the ruling interests in these countries. Without their support and approval, China and Russia cannot act. Hence, the application of the current sanctions on Russia on the Russian oligarchs, which may affect their ability to continue to support Putin. These elites in China and Russia are closely connected with elites in the West and therefore have business interests with each other. Each of these elites, each of these elites, each of these elite success is dependent on the other's success. And this is why it is so difficult to apply any real sanctions to Russia to Russia until recently, because all of these post-industrial countries or elites have interests with each other and are careful not to sabotage that through any sanctions that may affect their business interests and wealth. And of course, these will be this will be considered as we delve into power poses problems for human progress, looking at privileged power position and status. In addition, I completed a master of liberal arts and then a master of philosophy in liberal arts at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia in 2011 and 2013, respectively. Of course, I'm hoping to better that and continue to look at the concepts learned in these or in those courses at Penn Exploring Neoliberalism and the correlation of socioeconomic effects in the Caribbean and the urban ghetto in the United States. I've studied the concepts of social justice and violence and how income inequality and poverty are hidden within a neoliberal world. Penn did not offer a PhD in liberal studies and I wanted to utilize the opportunity to put my degrees into action. Hence, I spent the last six years out of the classroom working in social and human services industries and trying to enable and empower families and communities and you know running a business and consulting and writing about social economic theological and political issues so having gained valuable working and practical experience and with the remarkable changes in our world order given the trump effect and having access to opportunities to think more critically about neoliberalism and social justice, I wanted to engage academia to complete my PhD and to do further studies. You see, it is my career objective to be an effective leader in a professional academic and dynamic context, providing excellent service and leadership that advances the well-being of all peoples, thereby helping others to realize their full potential that makes a difference in the world. This involves completing training at the highest academic levels and utilizing acquired knowledge to develop a Caribbean and Afrocentric American-centered that is a think tank and a space for developing and promoting thought, wealth, and progress within a Caribbean American and West Indian and West Indian diaspora and African-American milieu. I'm also hoping to work as an academic collegiate professor and to assist with helping the Jamaican government as a consultant to develop policies to grow Jamaica, to grow the Caribbean. I had discussed with some colleagues of mine who are academics 
uh, and um, that we develop a center for West Indian and Caribbean thought. So I'm hoping by completing a PhD at Penn's Annenberg College, I can be one step further in building my credentials and my academic acumen and concepts towards developing a career that leads to the realization of that dream and to be the best so that I can help others accomplish their full potential in God and or in themselves. And I have a passion for the weak and the marginal in society. Therefore, I am focused on bettering myself so that I can better my community. In New York, in Philadelphia, the US, Jamaica, and all of the Americas and the free world. Now, during my master's program at Penn, I developed an interdisciplinary curriculum that explored one or more themes. I will describe my intellectual journey during my previous graduate studies and discuss in detail how my experience has prepared me to undertake further study in the doctoral program. The Doctor of Philosophy and Communications afforded me the opportunity of studying in greater length and detail the extent to which neoliberal globalization has affected the working class in the United States and the ways they have responded in spite of capitalist structures to avert retaliatory insurgencies to its power. I'm always engaged in work that explores the concept and practice of neoliberal globalization as a historical phenomenon beginning in the 16th century when capitalism replaced feudalism. The courses studied in the master's program that Penn provided a, a dynamic and comprehensive approach within which to engage the subject matter. The courses provided a historical, political, economic, sociological, and anthropological approach to investigate the neoliberal globalization's effect on Jamaica and the West Indian, or the West Indies and the West Indian diaspora, including the US and the UK, Canada, and other parts of the world. The experience, the experience throughout the program has led me to conclude that globalization is an old age practice which has evolved in the form we know as neoliberalism today. But its aims and effects are always the same, to create greater wealth at lower costs. And this is done through exploiting the masses or reducing the need for labor. Now, during the previous course of study, I wanted to understand how neoliberal globalization affected Jamaica and the global south in the way that it did. I missed classical theorists' assertion that the only path to economic prosperity and wealth for developing states was to neoliberalize their economies. However, since the 1960s, already suffering from colonialism, the global South has been forced to open up their economies, thereby leaving their nascent and fledgling local markets unprotected from already industrialized and developed capital, capitalist regimes and their multinationals that invade dominate and destroy their local markets and control their wealth. This has exacerbated poverty and inequality in Jamaica and the global south. Developing my project began with a study of inequality from a sociological perspective, or one might say socialist Marxist perspective, which became my dominant worldview. Professor Marty Oppenheimer introduced the concepts of inequalities and poverty of inequality and poverty class and power in America, and ways resources are disproportionately distributed among various categories and groups of people. We looked at the industrial framework that creates inequality and the lack of agency and action among the poor. This question of agency was picked up and discussed by post-colonial theorists and feminists, Professor Rita Bernard in Cinema and Globalization. I explored the penetration of the body of the Southern man, immigrant, by multinationals and the lack of agency and visibility that these individuals have. We explored third world cinema, 
Bollywood Jamaican documentary film that visibly illuminate ways in which the geographical, economic, social, and political order can be represented and what new narrative forms have arisen to make sense of contemporary conditions of globalization and the post-colonial subject and citizens in the developed world. In my second semester, I wanted to get a more ethnographical understanding of the effects of neoliberal globalization on the human in relation to its cause and effects and their passivity. Professor Philippe Bourgeois, Marxist medical anthropologist, facilitated an ethnographic approach to looking at concentrated social urban inequality. It was, a, it was a task that involved dissecting the social mechanisms and meanings that govern the neoliberal state and practices, ground their moralities and explain their strategies and trajectories. It was in this course that we examine how people are trapped in a cycle of poverty, facilitated by political lenses towards understanding the application of structural adjustment policies to Jamaica and neoliberalism in the United States. In this course, we considered class power and the state's role in producing social dereliction and human wretchedness. Distinguished economic and labor historian Professor Walter Litt's class organization dynamics, they speak better, helped to provide an historical analysis as a way of diagnosing the problem that capitalism poses for the global society. The assumption here is that the large corporations has become the dominant feature in the American landscape and has consolidated power and wealth. This involved the, the, the degradation or the degradation of work under monopoly cap capitalism, which involves the end of labor for cheaper and more efficient ways of increasing wealth for the neoliberals. I also studied building and maintaining nonprofits and globalizations and the welfare state as, sim as symptomatic responses to the harsh realities created by neoliberalism in Jamaica and the United States. These courses influenced my belief that social welfare and non-profits are not effective in treating the problem of poverty or inequality. And finally, I'm presently enrolled in my two final classes in MLA program, Comparative Social Protest Movement, taught by Professor Oppenheim in Political Science Theory, facilitated by Professor Ann Norton in Comparative Social Movements. We're exploring how the various kinds of social movements generated social change, but recognize the institutional framework that mitigated or mitigate against such movement. It is in these courses that we begin to ask the question, which will occupy some of our reflections in PhD program at Annenberg, how effective is the social protest movement in countering poverty and inequality created by neoliberal globalization? Professor Ann Norton's class, Colonial Postcolonial Theory, introduced radicalists such as Frank Fanon and W.E.B. E. Du Bois, who valorized the use of violence to counter colonialism and capitalistic oppression on the masses. The reading of works by practitioners and theorists such as Michael Manley, Sartre, CLR, uh, CLR James, Mike Davis, Jamaica Kincaid, Kincaid um, William Dumhoff, Max, um, um, Karl Marx, David Harvey, and Braverman, Bador, Rostor, Wallerstein, Litt, and Caribbean social scientists on neoliberal globalization have guided our conversations on neoliberal restructuring in a global context or in a global south context. But this journey has sparked an interest in us because we now understand that neoliberal globalization has not only affected the global south, but has displaced and impoverished many in post-industrial societies, which we shall study in the PhD program. Indeed, the MPhil was a precursor to our intended thesis and the PhD dissertation will continue to explore neoliberal globalization. However, during my research readings, 
conversations with professors and students in and outside of classes, I realized that neoliberal globalization has also affected the lives of people in the developed world far more than it did people in developing worlds. Minorities, immigrants, especially those from the global south, and poor working class households have suffered from deindustrialization, which has shifted millions of wage-dependent jobs to China, Mexico, and other developing states with cheap labor. Unlike the global south, the U.S. is highly commodified in that the social risks are embedded in the market. The South has familiarized, decommodified, and bucolic society with democratic socialist policies that universalizes healthcare and welfare, a large underground economy, and the cost of having its, the cost of living it much lower. Thus, the experience of poverty and inequality is less complex and not as intense given the communal and universality of welfare and government intervention programs. Hence, the negative effects of globalization are not just limited to Jamaicans, but felt among people everywhere, so that the experience of poverty and inequality under neoliberal globalization is international. This is consistent with what, with what one observer described describes as or described as the as the global elitism in which global elites share, com, share more in common with each other than with those of their countrymen. Further, this concept either changes or challenges Emily Davidson commodity chain analysis or this north-south dynamics hypothesis which suggested that the south produces what the north sells or consumes. In effect, Globalization has created a unique situation in which the developing world is forced to produce consumer goods for the North much cheaper than it than than what it would normally cost capitalists to produce in the North. Capital has always sought greater profit, which is achieved through efficient production of goods. But efficiency, according to Braverman and Edwards, is a convenient way of hiding the exploitative strategies of neoliberals to oppress labor to satisfy their greed and power. The fact is, globalization has created a strategy that allows the elite to consolidate their power in the world by shifting capital around easily, thus making advantage of or taking advantage of cheap labor, amassing wealth and disenfranchising labor. This undermines the political democratic system in that governments in the developed world have very little control over international capital and wealth. So globalization was supposed to be the ideal model of development. It has the model, the power of overthrowing and the mitigating socioeconomic forces that creates underdevelopment and unlocks free trade, investment, specialization, and division of labor, which facilitates economic development for economic prosperity. But the question is, economic prosperity for who, what, where, and when? One thing is certain, the world is not flat. And competition is not perfect. These neoliberal principles held within any neoliberal state, such as the US or Jamaica, are mere obfuscation of the process that will lead to the concentration of wealth and therefore the restoration of class power. Neoliberal globalization propped up the wealth of the few over the masses and turned former colonies such as Jamaica into dependent indebted states. Mike Davis argued that although the debt collectors claim to be in the business of economic development, they seldom allow poor nations 
to play by the same rules that richer countries used to promote growth in the late 19th century and early 20th century. Zygmunt Bormann in his book Globalization and the Human Consequences explains that neoliberals have a hegemonic relationship with the developing world. This he explains in the bureaucratic phenomenon, in that the bureaucratics of the North set rules that govern the South and that these rules do not have much bearing on those who set them. Similarly, structural adjustment policies, neoliberal strategy to free up capital, as, econom as economist Hajong Chan points out hypocritically, the, the neoliberal states or elites kicked away the ladder. Michael Manley agrees when he stated in an interview that the IMF working under the control of the neoliberals was only interested in conditionalities that served their self-interest and not the interest of Jamaica that needed capital to pay its workers and interests and invest in a long-term development plan that would make his country and people more competitive. According to him in an interview with Stephanie Black, producer of the documentary film Life and Death, the IMF said that what was in his best interest had nothing to do with anyone else. That's your problem. Undoubtedly, the journey through the MLA MPhil programs highlighted the unfortunate reality that neoliberalism or capitalism is scarcely about rules. It is about the concentration of power through the consolidation of resources and assets by corrupt processes. Karl Marx observed that production needs capital and there must be some pre-accumulation of capital. This pre-accumulation was procured by the elite through violence, by driving the feuds off their land. Certainly, certainly, isn't it true that economic histories have always been about violence and tension between the haves and the have-not? And it's violence action that seems to be the only solution for the oppressor Frank Fanon writing his book, Wretched of the Earth. But violence cures and it kills, and does not necessarily extinguish greed. Nevertheless, revolutionary means might be the only solution to an entrenched institutional ideology that creates inequality and poverty under monopoly capitalism. This might be the conclusion because Braverman, Edwards, Richardson and others assert that the rise of the large organization is a strategy to concentrate bourgeois capitalist superpower, which is not easily overcome. Similarly, Karl Marx theorized that there is a historical strategy to create disparity and an underclass called the lumpen proletarians whose idleness can be utilized to crush any opposition to its existence. Racism and classism was successfully used in American history as a strategy to divide and conquer. So then, on the face of it, racism is not the issue, but a means to an end. And it's neither left nor right. It's part of the elite strategy to divide and conquer. People, solidarity is a vehicle of power. So why not put people against each other so that they can lose sight of the big picture and fight for scarce benefits and spoils among themselves? And that is why Martin Luther King Jr. writes that freedom is not freely given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Gunst in his book Born for Dead illuminates the practice by Jamaican politicians to use the poor in Kingston to get votes and to protect political power by organizing people in categories and groups against each other. These strategies have made it 
easier for neoliberals to restructure along economic lines. The Puerto Rico's community of East Harlem, which Bourgeois described as a traumatic experience in which deindustrialization forces the entire community to be overrun with drugs as the only viable solution. He also explains that these communities manifest class manifest class based and ethnic discrimination that characterized by occupational segregation, which we shall explore in further details in our in in, in, in our dissertation. This is an experience that has also come to define people of the global of the of the global south who depend heavily on the underground narcotic economy for survival. Yet even these alternative solutions attract strong penalties and sanctions, which result in a high incarceration rate among people of color, immigrants from the South and the poor. Hence, the main single the, the, the main single cause of increases in poverty and inequality during the 80s and 90s was the retreat of the state. Governments were forced to reduce the welfare programs. This led to increasing immigration, decreasing formal employment, falling wages, collapsing revenues, and squatter settlements, infrastructure and public health lost race with population growth, street vending, drugs, and criminality became the occupational choice of the Southern man as formal employment dropped to new lows in Latin America, the Caribbean, and Africa. But the same adjustments that crushed the poor and the public sector middle class offered lucrative opportunities to privateers or privatizers, foreign importers, narcotic traffickers, military brass, and political insiders. The nouveau rich went on a spending spree in Miami and Paris, while their shanty towns, compatriots, starved. This proved to be another strategy of the neoliberals to consolidate and sustain their power and wealth, thereby mitigating any backlash from the working class in the global south or the north. An emerging middle class with conservative ideals trained in neoliberalism and got their status on their backs of their fellow men. Undoubtedly, Capitalism employs a strategy of garnering power so as to amass wealth. Globalizing, globalization is a strategy that has targeted and destroyed people's capacity for self-reliance, disrupts their lives, and kills their local industry thus making them dependent. But these former colonies share something in common with the working class, people of color, and their poor in and the poor in post-industrial societies their livelihood have been taken from them and have become dependent on low, low, lower paying jobs, handouts from polit- politicians, dead end jobs and or scoundrels. Racism and classism served as an effective strategy in the US and global societies to quiet the masses. Surely, this journey and our findings, this journey and our findings and assumptions have provided a basis to engage in further academic work that explores post-industrial experience of neoliberal globalization and the working class and their response. Essentially, we want to know what has been the nature of neoliberal globalization in the West, how different or similar are the experiences of poverty and inequality in Jamaica versus the United States under neoliberal globalization, what accounts for the differences, what has been the response or the mitigating factor against neoliberal globalization, and if so, how effective is it? This proves a meaningful segue into describing and discussing my intended study at Annenberg in communication and what academics and courses that and what academics and courses that may help to develop and guide that.
Now, the master's project paper examined whether or not Jamaica's inequality trend from 1985 to 2007 was a consequence of the structural adjustment policies stipulated by the neoliberal technocrats of the Washington Consensus on Jamaica. We began this examination by questioning the premise on which this is viable, or on, on, on the premise on which this variable lies. Neoliberalism creates inequality and poverty. Having established that neoliberalism creates inequality and poverty, we then asked ask ourselves why and how the Jamaican government adopted and, and implemented structural adjustment policies by tracing the evolution of structural adjustment policies. Thirdly, we examine the results, implications of structural adjustment on Jamaica by presenting and analyzing Jamaica's income inequality and poverty trends. And finally, we assess whether or not these trends correlate with our assertions. Unlike the graduate programs at Penn that I completed previously, the PhD in communication at the Annenberg will explore post-industrial experience of neoliberal globalization and the working class and their response. Essentially, we want to know what has been the nature of neoliberal globalization in a developed society such as the United States. How different or similar are the experiences of poverty and inequality in Jamaica and the Caribbean vis-a-vis -vis the United States under the neoliberal, under neoliberal globalization? And what accounts for these differences? What has been the response or the mitigating factor against neoliberal globalization? And if so, how effective is it? The answer may lie in my anecdotal analysis that requires further investigation. That the decentralization of social media is the greatest victory for social peoples in society or for peoples in society, especially those that are marginalized and most vulnerable. The people of the global south, black and brown peoples have all suffered under neoliberal globalization and strategies of power that poses problems for human progress and peoples everywhere. Digital technology and the, decent, and, and the decentralization of information create opportunities and greater competition and limit access so that there is this leveling of the playing field. Yet, there is this drive to regulate information as the status quo uses countervailing tactics to re-monopolize information so that communication is no longer to make popular what was the monopoly. This may lead us to ask, what is the role of the neoliberal state? We will continue the final, the final segment of part three, the final segment of this three-part series uh, some, on Sunday, where you will hear the conclusion of this particular aspect of the journey. Continue to follow us as we seek to make popular what was the monopoly. The neoliberal round is brought to you by the Neoliberal Corporation, and it is produced 
by Mr. Dante Nelson and Ronaldo McKenzie. Now, join me at the AGLSP conference, October 10 to 12, where I will be presenting at the conference on some of these matters, looking at neoliberal globalization and strategies of power that poses problems for human progress and peoples everywhere, and looking at how digital technology and the decentralization of, 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 of information is creating opportunities and greater competition. So we will explore. So join me October 10 to 12, and you can visit their website, AGLSP, for more, the Association for Graduate Liberal, the Association, the Association of Graduate and Liberal Studies Professionals. And um, of course, October 6, I will be on BBC show, George the Poet. So you can um, stay tuned for that. Subscribe to this show for free. HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash anchor.fm slash the neoliberal. And you can also donate to us at HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash anchor.fm slash the neoliberal slash support. Visit us at ronaldocmckenzie.com and thenearliberal.com. And just so you know, the neoliberal round is brought to you by the neoliberal corporation that is serving the world today to solve tomorrow's challenges. And we are a a pla we are a podcast that is on the Anchor by Spotify platform, but we are available on other streams. We're talking about Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, the Alexa app, Spotify. We are also available on Stitcher. Did I say Google Podcasts and Podvine as well? And uh, and several other major uh, podcast streams. Now, you can also send us a feedback so we can know how we can improve. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Walk good.